Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. I know it's been almost about a week since I was on the air last with you guys, and I uh, certainly have missed being on the air. But as I've said many of times before, and I'll certainly say it again here, that uh, life does not always revolve around a hobby. And one of my favorite hobbies um, being that of uh, podcasting. Uh, and it's okay not to uh, revolve your life around one thing, because if we did, um, then others could say that you know life might be a little bit uh, dull and boring if you revolved everything around just uh, one particular thing. So um, the good news is that uh, during the time that I was away, I was able to prepare not only for this episode, uh, but for another upcoming episode as well. So my goal after uh, tonight's uh, podcast segment episode to uh, Nathan Hale, The Life and Death of America's First Spy, is to certainly be back on the air uh, before um, the upcoming week uh, comes to an end with the um, next episode that I had um, been working on uh, during uh, time away. I'm sure some of you were wondering, you know, where had uh, Kirk been uh, during this time besides work and other, you know, uh, personal obligations? Uh, well, my wife's uh, brother um, and his wife uh, decided to uh, renew their wedding vows, and they had a formal uh, wedding uh, ceremony over the weekend, and it was uh, very nice. Um, thank goodness Mother Nature uh, cooperated, especially on Saturday, because uh, it had been raining hard um, from uh, late afternoon into mid-evening on that uh, Friday, uh, but we were uh, certainly fortunate to have had uh, good weather uh, yesterday. It was a nice uh, turnout of people, uh, but it was just nice to uh, get to be with uh, not only just family, but with uh, friends as well, um, whom uh, I got to uh, meet uh, back in the uh, spring of last year. So, it you know, it's always uh, good to uh, not only just get away, but to uh, reconnect with uh, people whom you had uh, met before, but have not seen in a while. Um, now, I also will have to say with uh, Mother Nature acting the way she's been, um, my Steelers were supposed to have played earlier today, but they are now having to play tomorrow. Um, so I certainly hope that um, that the Steelers will be able to prevail. I know it sounds kind of crazy for me to be talking about sports while we're, you know, folk, well, we should be focusing on history, but uh, I know that everyone, everyone's team who uh, made it into the playoffs, um, you know, yes, you're happy, and if you and if your team lost, I know it's a it's a real bummer. Uh, but I'm certainly hoping that uh, for the Steelers, that even if they don't, you know, yes, I'd love for them to go all the way, but I think many people would tell me right now that the chances of that happening are slim. But if they make it just to the second round, I'm satisfied with that. Uh, to me, that's, uh, you know, an accomplishment onto itself. Now, I will say that um, having um, done the research for this uh, episode, we're now at a point, folks, in uh, Nathan's um journey during this uh, cause for independence, the journey um, that he's now embarking on obviously is one that's um, it's sensitive. Uh, the last time I was on the air, uh, we recalled learning about how he came forward and was willing to take on this mission behind enemy lines, but yet there were um, comrades of his within Knowlton's Rangers whom were skeptical they said to him, hey, look, you know, we, we, we love your enthusiasm. We love how passionate you are behind the cause for independence from England. But do you really want to take on this mission? 
do you truly feel that you have what it takes? I mean, do you have any experience? Do you know what the consequences might be if you are caught? I think it's fair to say that maybe Nathan knew, had some understanding of what the consequences could be, or what they might be, I should say. But at the same time, if you are caught, how are you going to get out of this? How can you back up your alibi, or I should say your excuse? That, to me, is something we're going to have to find out. If we don't find out his true alibi in this episode, we'll certainly find out about it in the next one. But what I do know is that Nathan Hale is going to uh, be embarking into territory that uh, he's never come across before. And, you know, it's one thing to disguise yourself, as we're going to find out. But sometimes um, how you disguise yourself cannot even make you as an individual immune from um, those around you who might suspect, suspect you of being something that not only are you perhaps not supposed to be, but also suspect you as someone whom, um, by entering into their territory, not only poses as, as a red flag, but um, also uh, has the means of... Um, Doing things that are unbecoming, say, such as disturbing the peace, trying to persuade people into um, doing things that um, can lead them off the wrong path, or let alone get fallen into a trap. In other words, you might think that you're talking to people whom share the same beliefs as you do, but you never know what those people are capable of doing once they have... Um, left you. In other words, you may go on your own way and they go on their own way too, but who's not to say if you run into them again the next day or a day or two after that you're still on the same footing. So I think that's something that we will have to um, figure out in this episode that where Nathan goes now into uh, the heart of uh, enemy territory behind enemy lines, we will now see for ourselves firsthand just how dangerous this mission is um, going to become. So it's time to um, get on track with our um, podcast segment uh, for this evening to um, Nathan Hale, The Life and Death of America's First Spy by M. William Phelps. So here we go with our leadoff question. Was Sergeant Stephen Hempstead one of only a few people who knew exactly what Nathan Hale was up to mission-wise? Yes, it just so happens that uh, Sergeant uh, Hempstead, Sergeant Hempstead was one of the few people whom Nathan himself had trusted, not just so much as a confidant. You know, in other words, you know, yes, you know, we'd like to think that maybe we could share information with any of our friends, but then we come to realize, well, we can't share everything with everybody. Because there are some people, even though they may be friends of ours, some people, yes, mean well, but are they the people that we can sh share sensitive information with and ensure that those individuals do not go behind our backs and tell other people within a community about something that's uh, impacting you on a personal basis? So Sergeant Stephen Hempstead is one of a select few uh, people whom Nathan is very confident in, in sharing uh, sensitive information about what lies ahead. So if uh, Nathan Hale trusts Sergeant Hempstead, he's also s trusting Sergeant Hempstead with his own life. 
That tells you how close these two men are. Now, prior to stepping off uh, the vessel Schuyler, Nathan gave Sergeant Hempstead a gift. I'm sure some of you are thinking, what in the world could Nathan have given um, Sergeant Hempstead gift-wise that might have been considered sentimental um, for this particular time, not just for the time that they're living in, but perhaps um, with the cause that they're fighting for and the friendship being so strong. What do you think Nathan uh, has given Sergeant Hempstead gift-wise? Turns out it was a watch. And, uh, you know, we all probably should be reminded that, um, that, yes, watches did exist back then, but not everybody would have had access to a watch. But, um, but Nathan did, and he wanted to give this particular watch to his friend, Sergeant Hempstead. The gift alone represents a strong sign of friendship, including Nathan's way of saying thank you to his friend for escorting him to this particular point. In other words, it's fair to say that Nathan um, has not forgotten those whom have been dear to him for pretty much all of his life, but Nathan also knows that it's that it's uh, important to not, you know, burn a bridge if. Um, Sergeant Hempstead was going on this secret mission and had agreed to go forward with it. I have no doubts that he would have wanted Nathan to have accompanied him as well. So for Sergeant Hempstead, where does he go, given that he's escorted Nathan this um, far? He has been ordered to return back to Norwalk, Connecticut. And he will be remaining there, or I should say stationed there, until Nathan returns back from this mission. Gosh, if I'm Sergeant Hempstead, I know that you've got to be praying to yourself really hard with the hopes that, gosh, I hope my dear friend does come back. I hope that he can come back with the information that General Washington has requested. I hope that he can come back and uh, provide not only me with the information, but provide the inner um, circle of uh, Washington, uh, not just Washington, but the officers below him of this vital information so that, um, so that we have a better idea of just how big this uh, force is and um, where their next movements could be within uh, the greater New York area. Now, it turns out that uh, where Nathan has entered into um, Long Island, it's a place called Huntington. Huntington, um, interesting enough, I should say rather that um, Long Island, that is, the majority of Long Island is in the hands of British and Hessian forces. The Hessians, you know, most historians say the Hessians were the mercenary troops that came over from various provinces of uh, Germany, most notably um, Hesse-Cassel and Hesse-Hanau. Um, but the Hessians are, they're not mercenary soldiers. In other words, they're not inferior. Many Hessian soldiers and regiments are just as superior as uh, British uh, regiments were. And uh, this was definitely true during the Battle of uh, New York, uh, the greater uh, New York uh, campaign. And I think it's probably fair to say, not to get too far ahead of the game, that at some point, you know, the Hessians won't die out. But ultimately, over time, the Hessians will get a taste of their own blood 
between late 1776 into the beginning of 1777 when they finally realize that all of this time beforehand that um, the Continentals in their eyes were viewed as you know a bunch of wimps, cowards. They 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 ran as soon as uh, shots were fired on their side at at the Continentals and the militia. They just saw the American forces really as just a bunch of uh, inferior men whom never had had any true military experience. But in 1776, the majority of Long Island is in the hands of uh, British and Hessian forces, along with having a high, a very high concentration of uh, loyalist uh, populations, that is. And not just within Long Island, but really anywhere within the northern colonies. And of course, when I think of the northern colonies, I'm thinking of usually of New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, uh, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. But usually when I think of middle colonies, New York is often has often been referred to as a middle colony, but there are those who um, still to this day, you know, will refer to New York as a northern colony. And, and if that's what they want to do, then they're certainly entitled to that. But um, the people of Huntington, however, are different. They're not loyalists. They're patriots. And obviously that is going to be to an advantage for Nathan, at least for right now. I mean, yes, the majority of, peop of the people in Huntington are patriots, but that doesn't mean there is a sector of, um, of people in Huntington whom are loyalists. And not just loyalists, but there could be a sector of uh, population in Huntington that could be neutral. They don't favor either side. So Nathan's disguise is that of a Dutch schoolmaster who is looking for work in this greater uh, Long Island area. It turns out that in the month of September in the 18th century, that usually represented the start of a new school year. So this is perfect timing for Nathan. School has just begun, and he's probably under the assumption that there are some schools in this area that are probably are in need of extra personnel, given that, that other head schoolmasters whom were once teaching there have now gone on to fight in this war, and somebody's got to pick up... Um, what those other schoolmasters had left behind. What was the first hurdle facing Captain Nathan Hale within the, hunt within the greater Huntington region? He had to navigate his way through a particular neighborhood in Huntington, which was home to a powerful person, just so happened folks to be a woman named Rachel Chichester, whom had deep loyalist ties. In other words, Rachel Chichester knows, appears to know all the ins and outs of people coming and going. If she's not familiar with someone in her area, she knows where to go. She knows where to report it to. It's probably fair to say that even Rachel Chichester has established great connections with uh, British and Hessian forces whom, um, who might be in the Huntington region. I would think it's fair to say that, uh, that there are um, a handful of those troops in the Huntington region. The good news to report, though, is that Nathan did prevail in making it through the neighborhood where Rachel Chichester resided. He got to the east side of Huntington Bay, where he stumbled upon an old farmhouse owned by a Mr. William Johnson. Well, Mr. William Johnson welcomed Nathan into his home where he resided for the night. 
you know, even back then you had to be leery of strangers. And it's probably fair to say that you would have kept a rifle or a musket somewhere nearby that should in the event someone try to break into your home, you need to have uh, something to defend yourself with. But it is also fair to say that even back in those times, people were very trusting, even of outsiders, if they did not um, present any harm to them. How times have changed, to say the least. Now, the ultimate destination, though, in Long Island for Nathan Hale is not Huntington. It's Brooklyn. Believe it or not, folks, it is Brooklyn. Brooklyn is 40 miles southwest from the Huntington region. Brooklyn was very embedded in its Dutch roots. Another advantage for Nathan, given once again that his disguise is that of searching for work as a schoolmaster. Well, it's good that, you know, a particular um, destination point where your ultimate... Um, your ultimate objective to um, in arriving to is, yes, um, embedded in its Dutch roots, but just because it may be embedded in its Dutch roots, it doesn't mean that it could be 100% immune from um, anyone or from a group of individuals who may not only, not only may not uh, share your beliefs or views, but perhaps could be posing as the opposite, meaning that they could be posing as spies themselves but are uh, perhaps trying to uh, weed out um, the opposition by um, cap by you know luring them into traps. I think this is something we'll have to uh, keep in mind with that just because you know you talk to someone, it doesn't mean that th that they are always the right people that you should be talking to. Hang tight for just a moment. Would Nathan encounter anything deemed unfavorable as he journeyed from Huntington to Brooklyn? The big hurdle that faced Nathan Hale revolved around his navigating large swaths of Tory, or I should say Loyalist territory, where if caught, he would get sent to the British inner circle Okay, so if he's if he did if he does get caught, folks, and not only would he get sent to the British inner circle, who do you think he would um, possibly meet? There's a good possibility he could be end up meeting um, the head general of the New York campaign, being being that of a uh, General William Howe. One element that Nathan, I hate to say this, folks, this is just this is the beginning. One element that Nathan did not look over thoroughly prior to entering Long Island was a residue of gunpowder gun flash spotted along his cheek. Why does that matter, folks? Well, if you have something, something like that along your cheek, that would tell um, outsiders that you are either a soldier or you are a soldier undercover doing um, what most people would think of today as maybe, you know, dirty work for someone above you to get the dirt on the opposition. In other words, by having residue of gunpowder flash spotted along your cheek, this is one potential red flag 
or I should say a red flag sign for the enemy to spot. So, you know, even something small like that, folks, is something that we um, cannot take lightly. Now, we're going to move on to uh, an individual that I know most of us probably don't know anything about. And I will confess this to you all right now, folks, is that I didn't know anything about this uh, individual until having read this book. And, um, and I learned a lot about him. And I'm sure some of you are wondering, is it for better or for worse? Well, actually, I would say it's both, for better and for worse. Do any of you all know who Robert Rogers is? Well, this is what I can tell you. He was an individual whom had established a solid record of military experience within the British Army during the Seven Years' War, including this current conflict being that of the uh, Revolutionary War. Robert Rogers was born in the year 1731. He was a native of Methuen, Massachusetts. And for those of you who are curious to know where Methuen, Massachusetts is, uh, it's located well north of Boston, uh, just north of uh, Marblehead and Salem and uh, Gloucester. Methuen is, or Methuen is closer to the uh, Massachusetts-New Hampshire line. Matter of fact, it's not very far from uh, Portsmouth, if that gives you any indication of where uh, Methuen is in terms of being in northern uh, Massachusetts along the uh, coast. But it is very close to uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So interesting enough, yes, Robert Rogers is born in 1731. To think he was born a year before Washington is, um, you know, that's pretty unique. He was responsible during the Seven Years' War for uh, raising, or let alone, I should say, recruiting to uh, commanding troops whom were chosen to partake in special operations missions. So this guy really knows his stuff, folks. He's going behind the scenes and doing things that are helping not just so much the British um, ultimately win this war, but perhaps be a step ahead of the enemy, being that of the French and the, uh, and the multiple Indian tribes whom they have aligned with, most notably along the Ohio frontier in western Pennsylvania um, territory, in terms of um, trying to keep their um, territory intact from um, getting toppled uh, to where the enemy would eventually overtake it, being that of the British. But um, the group that uh, Robert Rogers established during the uh, Seven Years' War was Rogers Rangers, a company of soldiers from New Hampshire. In the late 1750s, Rogers Rangers were seen as, pro as a primary scouting element behind collecting intelligence about the opponent. Intelligence, you know, that, that's a whole array of things, folks, you know trying to figure out the number of the overall troop strength of the opposition. How are their fortifications built? How big are their fortifications? How do, how do we need to go about um, sending light infantry out to, uh, to scout the um, opponent? Where is the opponent going to be in, uh, establish their encampment next? Is it possible for us to go about establishing... Um, or engaging them in um, skirmishes before the big uh, battle ensues. So these are just some of the core elements behind establishing intelligence that will eventually uh, favor your side over the opposition. Now, it turns out that uh, Rogers Rangers, 
what I found interesting, of course, the Seven Years' War ends in 1763, but this group disbanded in 1761. I'm not sure for the reasons why, but it would be fair to say that um, that for the time that they were in existence before the Seven Years' War ended, they had um, performed rather very well. Now, we move uh, forward to the Revolutionary War. I will ask you all this question. Did Robert Rogers know George Washington during the French and Indian War? He did. We have to remember, folks, that even Washington himself during the French and Indian War was on, was on fighting for the British. Think about it, folks. In 1756, really, when war uh, begins, the Seven Years, Years' War really breaks out. But, of course, it, it begins in 1754. You know, nobody in their right mind in colonial America or colonial North America, let alone, is thinking about independence from England. They are, they are, proud, uh, they are proud to be a subject to the crown. Even Washington himself is. So if anybody is out of their mind to say, well, we don't like being part of the crown at the start of the Seven Years' War, there are going to be a lot of red flags with you as an individual. So the big question is this. Had Robert Rogers, by the time the Revolutionary War begun, had he offered his services to General Washington not long after the con not long after um, Lexington and Concord? It turns out, folks, that he did. He offered his services to Washington, but Washington, folks, declined Rogers' assistance, given he was convinced that Rogers himself could have been a spy. I know this seems odd and uh, crazy to think Washington turned down this guy. There is probably a reason for it. Um, I uh, learned uh, a bit of history a while back about a particular individual. There is a book written about this man who turned out to be a spy for all the wrong reasons. His name was Dr. Benjamin Church. He was a very well-respected physician in the greater um, community of Boston. He was even a member of the Sons of Liberty. What did Benjamin Church do that was so unthinkable? He betrayed the community of Boston. Not just betrayed the, the town of Boston, he betrayed those other uh, individuals like Paul Revere, Dr. Joseph Warren, James Otis, Samuel Adams, John Hancock. He betrayed not only those men, but other men whom were part of the Sons of Liberty. He basically provided General Thomas Gage, who at the time uh, was the head commander in Boston, with valuable information about what was going on from within uh, the Continental side. George Washington learned of this, and he became furious, let's put it that way, furious to the point where he was so enraged that he had uh, Dr. Um, Church arrested and placed under house arrest. Washington said, if I can't trust uh, Dr. Uh, Church, then who can I trust? And it was because of that incident that Washington had to revamp his whole intelligence gathering process to where he had to hire people whom, were, whom would go about getting trained in espionage. In other words, spot, how, do, how do we weed out those individuals who are spying from within and selling secrets to the enemy? So is it fair to say that George Washington was leery that Robert Rogers could have been uh, the equivalent to another uh, Dr. Benjamin Church? 
It's very possible. I just hope that this decision doesn't come back to backfire on Washington. But look, you know, we also have to be reminded of the fact that Washington Washington um, encountered a lot of trial and error um, episodes throughout this uh, greater conflict. But it is fair to say that Robert Rogers was very bitter behind Washington's rejection of him. Rogers went to the side, uh, went to the British side, whom accepted him. The year 1776 saw Robert Rogers establish what was what would be called the Queen's Rangers, named for George III's wife, uh, Queen Charlotte. The unit would be responsible for guarding um, outposts, conducting patrols, to building fortifications. Well, when you get rejected from one side, you don't sit around and. It's fair to say that you don't have sit. You shouldn't sit around and have pity for yourself. You probably ought to get up and do something about it, and that's what Robert Rogers has done. Despite having lived in England uh, for five years prior to 1775, what motivated Robert Rogers under the present situation? For starters, uh, British commanders admired Rogers for his reputation, given it was brutal. And this guy, from what I read, folks, he had a very brutal reputation. He wasn't somebody you'd want to mess with. And when you got in his way or if you crossed him, you would never hear the end of it. At the same time, he was very soft-spoken. Interesting, you could be brutal, but yet you could be soft-spoken. How is it that Robert Rogers can be so soft-spoken? It all came down to how he could go about talking people into doing tasks for him and personal ambitions of his, which centered around thrill and money. So yes, you could come up tomorrow and introduce yourself to Robert Rogers. You could talk to him as if he was one of if he was just like you. Oh yes, that's really neat that you are interested in these uh, subjects or that you have a passion about being a, uh, a patriot. I'm just like you. I'm all for this cause as well. How about you meet me at my place tomorrow? We could talk some more about this. Yeah, th doesn't that sound exciting? But who's not to say that if you showed up at his place tomorrow that you might get the same outcome? That's what we're going to have to continue to find out. Now comes September of 1776, Robert Rogers had a rank of Major. So we can refer to him as Major Robert Rogers. Besides um, being brutal to having a soft-spoken um, tone with regards to how you know he could go about talking people into doing tasks for him, Robert Rogers was also a loner. Sometimes people who can um, ask others to do tasks for them and their ambitions are that of thrill and money, I think it's fair to say those people are loners. They'd rather work independently. So, yes, for Robert Rogers, he is known to be a loner. He prefers working independently at all tasks, big and small. For Robert Rogers, um, he's not in it for 
for king and country. In other words, yes, you could come up to him and say, what are your loyalties like? Sure, he could tell you king and country, but does that automatically mean that he is doing, that he is performing noble works for the king? Yes and no, but on the other, but to me, it, it's not 100%. Think about it, for Robert Rogers, folks, he's all about I, me, myself. So by the time Nathan Hale was journeying towards Brooklyn, Robert Rogers was not far by in Huntington, working under General Howell's orders to find any Americans whom were willing to change sides, a.k.a. defect. In other words, Rogers is looking for those whom are neutral, but yes, he's looking for those uh, patriots whom are all of a sudden now disgruntled. And we're not talking soldiers, folks. You know, we could just be talking about ordinary uh, citizens, most notably in Huntington, where the uh, level of patriots are higher versus loyalists. But Robert Rogers is looking to find people who just want to convert because all of a sudden things are just not going really well for the, uh, for the Continentals. Uh, from a military um, skill standpoint, where did Rogers' expertise prevail in? How about deception? Robert Rogers himself had worked regularly at becoming an expert liar, a con man. You know, it's one thing to tell someone a lie. It may be another thing to tell an individual a bunch of fantastic lies. Lies, and what I mean by fantastic lies, lies that are unbelievable. Lies that can go beyond the sky ceiling without any boundaries. Conning people into, yes, believing something that they think is true when in fact it's not. It's probably, you know, deception, you know, manipulation. Given how good Robert Rogers was, not only from um, his time in the uh, French and Indian War and leading up to this point, having established the Queen's Rangers, I think it would be fair to say that uh, Robert Rogers is one of those agents whose record far exceeds what Nathan Hale will ever have the opportunity to become. In other words, for Nathan Hale at this present moment, he's just a novice, or I should say a beginner, when it comes to spying. Robert Rogers is well past novice beginner. I think it'd be fair to say Robert Rogers is even past amateur level. He is um, probably on a scale of one to ten. He's he's a ten. He is a, yeah. I mean he is a true um, marksman. I guess it's fair to say when it comes to spying or when it comes to uh, being able to manipulate, deceive anybody who comes in his way that he has never come into contact with before. Rogers' headquarters was set up, set up on Long Island uh, near Flushing, 25 miles from where Nathan had departed, uh, the home of William Johnson. Robert Rogers was also a, a recruiting officer whom canvassed the region for those wishing you know, to become loyalists and he also, uh, during his downtime, well, I don't know if I would say downtime, but he found the time to do this. He spent time in taverns within the Flushing region with an intent on luring men over to the British side. 
This guy does not take a break from anything, folks. He may be patrolling one area, but that doesn't mean that when he's done with the previous task that he can go disguise himself as someone else going over to the next town and, and um, spending time in taverns, getting to know those whom are regulars and finding out about those whom are first-timers. Because if you're a first-timer in, in a tavern that is um, known to frequent loyalists, yeah, I want to know what this person's loyalties could be like. I want to know how they blended into the crowd at the tavern. I, I want to know all the ins and outs because if I don't know the ins and outs, then how could we, how can I go about trusting this individual who would um, want to make um, his, his or her presence known uh, within uh, the greater Long Island area? September 18th was the date that um, supposedly, or I should say most likely, that uh, Nathan Hale arrived into Brooklyn. Uh, and the city of New York, folks, is um, a mile away across the East River. Nathan um, most likely arrived to the city via a ferry boat entering into New York. Yes, because think about it, folks. I mean, if you don't, you really only have two options. You could go by, you know, a horse and buggy or, or someone could, you know, transport you by horse. But I would rather go by ferry. Entering into New York, folks, is not, um, at this particular time, it's very risky. Nathan did, if there is an advantage that Nathan has, is that he has spent time in New York City. He spent five months in the city um, interacting with the public very frequently, which is a good thing, but things are different now. He's on a top-secret mission, and if he's not careful, interacting with the public frequently, even in a top-secret mission, can have repercussions. True or false, uh, is Nathan's appearance too visible? Yes, it is. Yes, he may be dressed as a Dutch, is what he wants to say as a Dutch schoolmaster, but his appearance, folks, within the city as a whole is um, very noticeable. And by 1776, folks, New York's uh, population is just shy of 30,000, which does seem like a lot. I mean, it doesn't seem as much, I should say, compared to what it, today's population in New York would be. But 30,000 was a lot for its time. But at the same time, not everybody was uh, jam-packed into one particular section of the city. I mean, people are spaced out. But at the same time, um, just because people are spaced out, it doesn't mean that um, other people's presences do not go unnoticed. Nathan's appearance, folks, is just, it's too visible. And um, city people, folks, are not to be uh, taken lightly. City people are deemed uh, suspicious. In other words, people frequenting cities, you know, are deemed suspicious. Well, from an outsider's perspective, but even talking to people from within the city are also suspicious as well. So in other words, you make, you, you go into New York, yes, you can, um, you know, say stop at a tavern, but you can't 
just start talking to people as if they were your best friends for, say, 10, 20 years. You can't just come up and introduce yourself and say, Hi, I'm Tom Jones. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Um, I tell you, isn't this conflict, isn't it terrible for what the Continentals or uh, Continental armies is dealing with and that they're on the run? And, you know, who knows, you know, what the future of this uh, cause is going to look like. <laughs> yeah, you tell that to some random Joe Schmo, they're going to wonder, hey, what are you doing at this tavern that is, that is filled with people who are anti-patriot? What are, you, what are you doing here? Are you trying to uh, infiltrate us? What had Robert Rogers, along with a group of troops, done between September 16th to the 18th of 1776? This is where uh, things are going to get um, very, very tense here, folks. They were aboard a, ve a vessel known as the Halifax, and come September 19th, um, they got dropped off at Sandy Point uh, late evening. Robert Rogers uh, sent multiple agents, spies, to um, the northern coastline of Long Island, which included the Sound in uh, Norwalk and Greenwich, Connecticut, with the purpose of obtaining information about an individual whom arrived at Huntington back on September 16th. Folks, do you think people in Huntington were a little uh, leery about this stranger who came through? Yes. Is it fair to say that people in Huntington look after one another, regardless of their loyalties? Yes. But is it fair to say that, um, that, the, that whoever or the, the people, individuals whom um, were suspicious of this um, individual were not patriots. That's true, too. They were um, obviously loyalists. People who could have posed as patriots but, but became suspicious in the event that Nathan had talked to them. Talked to them about not only searching for work, but also perhaps about the cause itself. You know, as much as Nathan enjoys meeting people, or that we've learned that he has, that his ambition in life was to meet as not so much to meet as many people as possible, but to establish connections wherever his uh, work took him. Yes, it's great to establish connections, but sometimes people that you meet, some people, they're. Well, for one, there's no guarantee that you might be able to establish a connection with them. But two, you really don't know who those people are. They may, they may seem nice to you up front, but if you knew what they were like in private, behind closed doors, you would not want to be around them. So for Nathan Hale, sadly, we could he's now going to be in a situation where people that he meets, it's going to be so close but so far away. Yes, I see you up close, but yet... I don't even have a clue as to who you really are behind closed doors. Once the individual uh, returned to Huntington, Rogers' objective focused or centered around wanting to know the person's purpose. In other words, why was this person here? What were the objectives? What was he trying to get? And wherever he's returning to, 
what is the intent with information that he may have obtained what is his what are his purposes when going back to the opposite side wherever he's supposed to be going back to what is the objective with the information prior to arriving into huntington nathan hale had come face to face with um, a handful of uh, people uh, from various professions like merchants okay business people tavern owners and just in, in the locals so it's probably fair to say that it's not just ordinary um, townsfolks but business people and tavern owners have somehow informed this greater uh, network of, Rob, of um, the Queen's Rangers and just uh, spy agents around the greater uh, Long Island area that hey there's been this person coming in trying to uh, sell himself off and he's talking left and right about how passionate he is with with the purpose and objective that's before him you just need to check this guy out um, Robert Rogers you, you really do a fellow by the name of uh, consider Tiffany I know that sounds like a strange first name but yes consider Tiffany was a loyalist storekeeper from Connecticut he noted in his journal about Robert Rogers's presence including individuals aka uh, Nathan's time in Huntington Nathan was um, seeking confirmation as to whether Long Island the people of Long Island were either Patriots or an opposite being uh, Tories whom was Nathan expected to uh, meet come the morning of September 20th that was uh, Captain Charles Pond of the sloop Schuyler so Nathan Hale folks was scheduled to uh, return he's scheduled to return on the 20th the evening of September 19th folks saw uh, Nathan Hale lodge in a nearby tavern and by late 1776 Robert Rogers's reputation had become well known within loyalist camps he received a tip from an internal source confirming the mystery person aka Nathan at a tavern by himself having a beverage and we're not talking uh, soda here folks uh, we're talking about you know an alcoholic beverage okay Robert Rogers now knows what tavern Nathan this individual is at being Nathan Hale thanks to this um, internal um, informant Rogers now seizes the opportunity to go inside the tavern and approach Nathan by introducing himself as a fellow Patriot soldier Wow don't if you're Nathan Hale oh my gosh this is exciting I'm meeting someone who's a Patriot soldier I can't wait to share with this man the information I, I want to share well Rogers's background is, is um, significant as we have all learned so far but Rogers's background an advantage given he was not only from New England he had served with George Washington in the Seven Years War 
Rogers told Nathan about various concerns he had since the war first broke out. I'm sure Rogers probably expressed concerns about how dire things were for Washington's uh, forces uh, within the Greater New York Campaign to Nathan. So given all the uh, concerns that Robert Rogers addressed, this prompted Nathan more than likely to perhaps reveal information regarding the greater cause that he himself was uh, in pursuit of here in uh, Long Island. Was there truly any way for Nathan Hale to have known what Robert Rogers looked like? No. Considering nobody above Nathan Hale in terms of rank had given him an adequate description. Sure, I mean, Washington and the inner circle knew that there were people um, in New York who um, were spies, or not just so much were spies, but were um, spies that... Um, whose objectives were to weed out um, the enemy uh, trying to uh, sneak their way into, um, into uncharted territory where you know, they could go about obtaining um, key information. For General Washington, though, he was aware of Rogers' presence on Long Island as he was recruiting Tories, but had Washington and uh, Lieutenant Colonel... Um, Thomas Knowlton, or Lieutenant Colonel Knowlton, had both men known, or I should say chosen, a more experienced spy. The spy himself would have been on the lookout for Rogers. So in other words, yes, we could say all we want that perhaps uh, General Washington and Lieutenant Colonel Knowlton should have chosen a more experienced spy, but even if there had been a more experienced spy that... Um, that had, uh, per that had uh, chosen to take this mission, who's to say that the, the, the uh, more experienced spy would have been able to have um, truly uh, gotten a uh, distinct um, composition of what Rogers truly looked like. The mistake that Nathan made was not having asked people in town prior to September 19th about anyone of suspicious character. That is, yes, and that's true, you know. But at the same time, if he had asked anyone of um, whom he needed to be on the lookout in terms of suspicious character, I'm sure that those individuals would have still found a way to have reported to someone high above that there was a suspicious individual or a mysterious individual wanting to know whom he needed to be avoiding. I think it's fair to say that from the start, uh, Nathan was um, not only in uncharted territory, but that this mission behind entering into unch uncharted territory um, was a disaster from the start. I, I know I shouldn't be giving that away, but it, it, some, there are just some missions you have to wonder, why did you send someone or send people there? But at the same time, somebody has to go. Somebody has to step up to the plate and be willing to take the chance, even if it m means... Um, risking their own life and perhaps losing their life knowing that they uh, perhaps might have saved other people's lives even if they didn't come home. So there are so many what-ifs uh, to all of this. The further the conversation uh, that uh, took place between Rogers and Hale um, went along, Robert Rogers asked Nathan Hale to partake in a toast 
a cheer to Congress's well-being. Nathan himself <laughs> went along only to go as far as sharing information directly, folks, about his mission to Rogers over multiple alcoholic beverages. Is it fair to say, folks, that Robert Rogers was trying to get Nathan Hale drunk purposely? I believe so, yes. And when you have too much, um, too much alcohol in your system, yes, you, you lose focus, not only of um, being able to stay alert or stay awake, you know, when your mind isn't all there and when you do to drinking too much, yeah, you you could say things. You could say anything. But for Nathan Hale, he's saying everything on his mind. He doesn't know, he now doesn't know his boundaries on what he should and shouldn't be saying. Robert Rogers <laughs> asked him to go as far um, as dining at his place the next day to finish up this conversation. Nathan agreed, folks. What was Robert Rogers' game plan strategy behind seizing Nathan Hale? For one, Nathan agreed to meet Rogers at his own place for breakfast. Secondly, Rogers chose to have a group of men hide nearby whom would ultimately surround him out of nowhere. Third, Rogers would agree to bring friends of the same loyalties into their gathering per conversation from the night before at the local tavern. Nathan, upon entry into Rogers' home, firmly believed he was in good hands. Talk about being very naive, folks. Little did he realize that while sitting down to breakfast, that out of nowhere, a group of men surrounded the home not as friends, but instead the enemy. By now, folks, Nathan Hale knows, or has just come to the realization, that he had been conned in by this man, whom he did not know anything about. A man whom, whom not only was manipulative, he was um, an expert liar. A man whom, um, not just an expert liar, but a fantastic liar. A man who had no boundaries. A man who... Um, who would become his ultimate worst nightmare. A man who had no regards, I hate to say this, uh, but uh, for Robert Rogers, I think it's fair to say that being a loner in his day and time, and what we'll learn in the next uh, podcast segment episode, this is a guy who, um, who I'm afraid does not really have a whole lot of remorse. Yes, he may claim to be friends with those whom are loyal to king and country, but that doesn't mean that he, he'll always, it, it may not all, always mean that he would treat those people kindly too. But just because you may have loyalties to king and country, that doesn't mean that you may object to something that someone um, may say that isn't to your liking from within an inner circle. So if you challenge Robert Rogers, from within the inner circle, uh, I think it's fair to say that you could meet some consequences that um, not only can uh, backfire on you, but perhaps could be uh, fatal if you weren't careful. So it's not always the outsiders that we that um, that can be um, taken out or um, be snookered into um, into um, 
acts of deception, I think it's fair to say that even those from within can fall into the same category. But um, sadly for Nathan Hale, given that he had um, come to Robert Rogers' home and knowing what's happened now, Nathan has sadly come to the realization that he has now eaten his last meal as a free man. You know, life is fragile, folks, and you never know when the freedom can be taken away from you. Nathan's freedom now is taken away. Well, that covers it for this uh, podcast segment episode. When I'm on the air again next, folks, we're going to um, talk about the, um, the final days of Nathan Hale's life. And it's very gut-wrenching and powerful. I, I will uh, tell you that much. Um, so be prepared to um, hear um, information that, yes, could be that was that is sensitive. But we also have to remember that this is how um, we have to be reminded of how punishments were uh, dealt with, not just in colonial times, but in times of war. This is what we will be uh, talking about in the next uh, podcast segment episode. So uh, thank you for your time as always. I look forward to being back on the air and wherever you all may live, continue to stay safe.